Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, April the 10th. My name is Mark Ferguson and I am a professor at the University of Manchester and I'm also the co-founder and chief executive officer of Renovo, the biotechnology company spun out of the University of Manchester and we develop pharmaceutical drugs for either the prevention of scarring or the acceleration of healing. In a moment, we'll be discussing results of early proof-of-concept research, which could show a new way forward for the prevention of severe skin scars in the future. Just before that, a couple of other highlights to give you. This is from the issue of The Lancet dated April the 11th to the 17th. Our lead editorial takes a critical look at screening programmes for disease prevention. In research, look out for the Horizon study. Patients who take glutocorticoid drugs to treat a variety of inflammatory diseases such as asthma and rheumatoid arthritis often suffer the side effect of bone mineral density loss. This leads to the excess risk of fractures. Horizon is an important clinical study as it highlights how a single annual infusion of zoledronic acid is better at preventing bone mineral density loss than a conventional treatment of daily biphosphonates. Also in research, a study from India highlighting the frequency of domestic fire-related deaths in that country. But back to our main feature this week. Could there be a new future approach to prevent excessive skin scarring? Earlier, I spoke to Professor Mark Ferguson from the University of Manchester. I began by asking him to tell us how previous research had informed the design of the current study and his clinical research programme in Manchester. Well, if you think about the clinical problems of scarring, it ranges from the medically significant, for example, burned children who, when they heal their wounds, the scar tissue often contracts, limits growth, limits movement. Major trauma, for example, following road traffic accidents where the scar may be unsightly, it may be aesthetically unpleasing, may be functionally restricting. For example, if it's across your elbow or across your knee, you often can't uh, move your limb properly. And then, of course, if the scar is on your face or your hands or your legs, it can be unsightly and that can often lead to psychological problems. Even scars that are not visible um, to most people, for example, scars on the breasts of women, often cause significant psychological problems because they relate to sort of body image. So this is a very common problem. There are 42 million people every year in Europe and another 42 million in the United States who undergo surgery every year. That's either elective surgery or it's following an accident, for example, a trauma or a burn. So a lot of people have skin scars. And previous uh, therapy has really been about trying to treat the existing scar. There are no pharmaceutical medicines. There are a whole range of, of products and potions that you can get on the chemist's shelf, for example, silicon gel sheeting or aloe vera or onion skin extract or vitamin E. None of these work in properly conducted studies. Nonetheless, people uh, use them because obviously they're uh, looking for hope. They're looking for something that can try and improve the scar. So we became interested in scarring oh, nearly 20 years ago. Quite by accident, I discovered that if you operate on an embryo, and that was in the course of experiments uh, on cleft lip and palate, the birth defect, then it heals perfectly with no scar. So we went on to investigate why it was that embryonic wounds heal with no scar, whereas adult wounds scar, identified the cellular and molecular targets, uh, and to those uh, developed uh, potential pharmaceutical drugs that could uh, improve scarring in humans. So these trials report 
the prophylactic improvement of scarring, that's to say the drug Evotermin, otherwise known as Juvista, which is human recombinant TGF-beta-3, is given at the time of wounding and it allows the wound to heal more like the normal skin. So it's not treating an existing scar, it's treating a wound so that it heals more like the normal skin. And could you just repeat here, we're talking about this product tgf 3 beta. That's, can you tell me what that stands for and, and just briefly its mode of action? TGF beta 3 stands for Transforming Growth Factor beta 3 and as the name suggests it was actually originally discovered because in its natural form it actually protects against cancer and when it's mutated in some forms of cancer um, uh, then it's elevated. That's how it was originally discovered, hence its name. But it actually doesn't do that normally in the body. TGF-beta-3 is, is what's called a growth factor or a cytokine. That means it's a soluble uh, protein that diffuses uh, from a cell that makes it and influences surrounding cells. It's a signaling molecule. And one of the very important things that TGF-beta-3 does is that it's involved in the development of the skin. So you can imagine that if you're an embryo, your skin volume today may be considerably greater than it was yesterday or the day before. And so there are factors in the skin, in the developing skin, that allow it to grow and expand rapidly because obviously, you know, your embryonic skin doesn't look like a giant stretch mark. It, it, it actually grows and is maintained uh, normally. TGF-beta-3 is one of the important molecules that does that. It also has multiple other functions signaling in other systems. For example, it's very important in palate development and in, in closure of the roof of your mouth. And moving on to the study in question, the methodology here, as I said at the, the beginning, you're actually describing, aren't you, three phase one straight, phase two studies, one phase one and, and two in phase two. Can you just um, briefly outline the methodology here? So these are actually the first clinical trials that represent the translation of our discoveries um, into man. So we obviously had done a lot of um, experimental studies identifying transforming growth factor beta-3, TGF-beta-3, which in the human form is called either Evotermin or Juvista. Those two names mean the same thing. Obviously, when you go into man for the first time, you go into human volunteers. And in these trials, we made incisions, each about one centimeter long, under the upper inner arms of human volunteers. So that's your upper arm um, uh, just on the inner aspect. In the last clinical trial, we used four cuts on each arm. In the first two trials, we actually used fewer cuts. We used either two um, or uh, three on each arm. A key thing for us to solve in this translation into man is that Avotermin represents a kind of new class of, of pharmaceutical treatment. It's a so-called regenerative medicine. In other words, it allows the wound to heal more perfectly, more like the normal skin, than it would do if you didn't have the drug. So a key question that you have to solve is, what would the scar have looked like if you hadn't given the Avotermin drug? And so we determined that if you make small cuts under the arm by the same surgeon at the same time in the same place and you don't treat them, then both of those cuts heal with identical scars. And when you know that, when you know that basically cuts made at the same anatomical location on the body at the same time by the same surgeon, obviously to the same depth and the same length, in this case one centimeter, heal identically, then you can use a within-patient uh, design or a within-volunteer design such that in a blinded fashion, one wound was treated 
with um, uh, the drug Evotermin, the other uh, with placebo, which is basically uh, the uh, solution in which the Evotermin is dissolved, which is basically saline. And then we followed the wounds, the healing wounds, um, every uh, day for the first week, every week for the first month, and every month for the first year um, uh, out to see if there were differences in the quality of the scarring between those that had received the drug and those that had received the placebo. Obviously, in this trial, we tested different doses of the drug. That, had, that was based on the knowledge that we had gained from our earlier preclinical experiments, and we were looking to see which dose uh, range and which dosing regime would potentially lead uh, to an improvement in scarring in man. Tell us a little bit about how you um, went about recording results, because you had to use visual analog scores, didn't you, for, for, for the scarring that was created, and the people that you involved to actually do the scoring. Well, that was obviously an, another novel feature of these uh, studies because clearly nobody has ever developed a drug for the prevention or reduction of scarring uh, previously. So that means that we had to explore a whole range of possible ways of measuring scarring. And one way that we went about that was to make a holistic assessment of scarring. You can imagine that a scar in the skin may be bad, i.e. cause the, the, the patient some trouble because perhaps it's red, uh, particularly if it's in a white-skinned person, or because it's elevated or because it's dispigmented. So particularly in colored-skinned individuals, if the scar is paler or, or in white-skinned individuals, if the scar is darker, if it's elevated above the surface, if it's shiny. I mean, a shorthand way of summarizing that is anything that makes the scar noticeable. You know, red, raised, shiny, dispigmented, those are all things that, that people don't like in scars. So you can make a holistic assessment of the scar basically using a visual analog scale uh, commonly used in, in drug studies, particularly, for example, in, in psychiatry or, or in uh, studies in the skin, for example, wrinkle reduction. And, and the scale that we used, zero uh, represent normal skin. 100 represents uh, the worst possible scar, like a hypertrophic, a red raised scar, and obviously any mark in between uh, represents a scar that's anywhere between normal skin uh, and the uh, worst uh, scar that you can think of. And then we used different assessors to score the scars. So you can use such a scale, for example, by the uh, doctor or surgeon who's examining the volunteer or the patient. You can um, also use the scale where you take standardized photographs of the scars, which is what we did. So we calibrate those photographs both for their size and also for their color. And then we ask a panel of people to assess those scars. And the panel of people could be lay people, and they're basically looking to see what, what they like or dislike in the scar. They can be doctors, so they can be plastic surgeons or, or dermatologists. And the advantage of the panel, of course, is that you run a panel of about eight scores, and we take the median score or the mean score from, from the eight assessors. But the great advantage of using a panel is that you can screen people for consistency of scoring. In addition, we used other measures in the trial. We asked people to rank the scars, which of the two are better, and that was statistically significant. We also made objective measures, for example, of the redness of the scar and how it faded with time. So we used a whole range of different measures in the trial, but the primary endpoint was this visual analog uh, scale that I've just described. As you go into telling us the key results, not, not, not 
every result that you got because <laughs> we'd be here a long time. But the, key, the the key results. Also, just clarify the follow up time that the um, assessors were looking at these scars in relation to when when they were actually made. The key question about follow up is when is a scar stable? And and very interestingly, there's no definitive data on that in the literature. I mean, people generally think scars are stable around about 12 months. So we followed the patients in these trials out for different times in different trials. In one of the trials, we followed them out for six months. In one of the trials, we followed them out for 12 months. In one of the trials, we followed them out for seven months. And what we actually discovered was that uh, scars are stable. That's to say they don't change very much after about seven months. 12 months is really the time that most people believe that a scar is stable. But it turns out that if you're an uh, elderly person, that is, if you're 65 years or older, then two things uh, happen. First of all, you have a better quality of scarring than a younger person. That's been known for some time. And your scars also stabilize more quickly. So in old people, and that was in one of our trials, uh, age 65 and above, actually your scars stable from about um, uh, six months onwards. Clearly we used different doses of the drug in this trial, and we showed statistically significant results using the visual analog scale. And that means that the avotermin drug-treated scars were more like the normal skin, and they were statistically significantly superior to the placebo-treated um, uh, scars. Across all concentrations? No. The effective uh, dose range was between 50 to 500 nanograms per 100 microliters per linear mar- uh, centimeter of wound margin. So obviously the dosing of the wound is per linear centimeter of wound margin, and the effective dose range is between 50 to 500 nanograms. That's a very small amount, but that's obviously because it's a very active, uh, normal, natural biological molecule. And the best dose actually in the study was the 500 nanogram dose. So although the doses between 50 to 500 all produced statistically significant improvements, the biggest magnitude of improvement was seen with the 500 nanogram dose. That was true for the visual analog scale. It was also true for a number of other measures, such as ranking of the scars. If you asked which of the two scars were better, then the drug treated were better. It was also true if you measured redness. So for example, the redness faded faster and fewer people had red scars with the Juvista treatment at the end of the trial. In some of these human subjects, we cut the scars back out again. So at the end of the time point in the trial, we excised the treated scars, whether they be drug-treated or placebo-treated. We did histological sectioning of those, and we looked at the structure of the skin, and we showed that in the avotermin or juvista-treated scars, the drug-treated scars, that the skin had a more normal structure. So if you think about the collagen, which is the kind of um, uh, matrix of your skin, it's the structural component of the dermis of your skin. It's normally arranged in a basket weave organization. If you put your finger, for example, on the back of your hand, you can move your skin in all different directions and it still comes back to the same place. And the reason for that is because the skin uh, structure is basket weave and and so it's able to withstand these multi-axial forces. In a scar, the collagen is actually in an abnormal parallel organization That's partly what makes a scar look different, and it's also partly, for example, if you have a scar in a functional area, 
why it often contorts, uh, for example, if you've got muscle movement. What we showed when we cut these scars back out is that the drug-treated ones had a more normal basket weave organization of the collagen in the dermis of the skin by comparison with the placebo. That was also statistically significant. And that's important because it's a sort of link back into the experiments that we'd done before we went out into, into these human studies where we'd shown that this was the chief effect of TGF-beta-3 of the evotermin in terms of improving the structure of the skin. And it's also encouraging because we believe that this change is permanent. So, so I said before, this is a new class of medicine. It's a regenerative medicine. And if you think about it, this is a drug that we give just twice, once at the time of wounding and once 24 hours later. So that's two injections. And one year later, your scar is significantly better in the drug treated compared to the placebo. We believe it will be like that permanently because of this change in structure of the skin. But it's acute dosing. You only had two doses. You don't continue to take the drug. And that's because you set up this kind of regenerative healing within the wound, which is uh, reinforcing and self-perpetuating. So acute dosing gives you a long-term uh, benefit. Next steps here. One obvious um, question to ask. Obviously, the approach was prophylactic, wasn't it? So you're actually giving the molecule before you then made a scar to then look at the effect of that prophylactic dosing on the resultant wound. What about the situation in real life whereby wounds happen and we're not able to give things prophylactically? In a real life situation, you wouldn't have the, the benefit of that prophylactic approach, would you? No, and, and obviously we have ongoing studies where we give the drug either before we cut um, and that, by the way, is doable in all elective surgery, which is actually the most common form of, of injury. So I always joke my clinical colleagues by telling them that surgery is trauma by appointment. You know, you make an appointment and somebody cuts you. So, so it would work in, in elective surgery. Clearly, it wouldn't work in trauma. We have ongoing studies where we give the drug when we close the wound. So that would be the case following an accident or trauma. And obviously, we are now exploring the efficacy of the drug in real-life clinical situations and later trials, typically bilateral surgery like bilateral varicose vein surgery or, for example, scar revision surgery where somebody has a very bad scar and that scar is cut out by a plastic surgeon or dermatologist. And in that design, we treat one end of the now fresh wound with drug and the other end with placebo and compare the two. And again, in all of those situations, the dosing is at the time of wound closure. So the drug is obviously still in development. It's, it's moving forward in its clinical trials. And when do you think we'll hear more about reporting of phase three results, for example? The phase three trial has just started. Uh, the first large European phase three trial It's called Revise and it's in scar revision. And obviously it takes about two years to do these studies, about uh, six to nine months to recruit the patients. It's obviously a one-year follow-up from the last patient who's in and then about three months to analyze the data. So I think, you know, you won't be hearing the phase three data for at least a couple of years. And here are the thoughts of one of the authors of a comment alongside this research article, Edward Tregett, who is Professor of Surgery and Critical Care at the University of Alberta Hospital in Edmonton, Canada. I think the conduct of the study that will be reported in The Lancet was one that was very impressive to me in terms of the methodology. 
First, I think their outcome measure was nicely validated and previously published in the Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal one to two years before. So they had a nice outcome measure and then they went about using a number of different doses in a standardized model with a number of different observers who had been previously trained and rated to evaluate the scars on the patients that were treated with and without the, the medication. So overall, in my impression, although this is a phase one, phase two study, it was well done, powered with a large number of patients, which uh, is required for adequate statistical sampling to be sure of the results that we're seeing. They're studying an area for which there's been very few successful treatments for many years. And so based on this preliminary information, there's hope for those of us that are dealing with patients that have large amounts of scar that our ability to manipulate the process will uh, will start to improve. Well, that concludes this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.